Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I am the, I wouldn't call it host, but questioner uh, for the podcast. And with me is my brother, Matthew. Hi, everybody. And, and Sean, I would call you the everyman. <laughs> uh, I'm the man on the street. That's right. Just your average Joe, just trying to make yes. it in this crazy world. Yeah. I'm the Humphrey Bogart from the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mac. So today we're going to be talking about the latest episode, which is from May 12th, 2020, which I am having a difficult time recognizing that we're halfway through May, yeah. considering that, as somebody put it recently, can you believe that February was this year? <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Which I thought yeah. was the perfect way to frame it. Yeah. Uh, time is a flat circle. Every day is Blur's Day. (laughs) (laughs) The latest episode was Starlink explained why SpaceX needs 42,000 satellites. And that was on May 12th. So I think the logical starting point would be why does SpaceX need 42,000 satellites? What I find funny about that number, it's a mind-boggling number, but it's also a number that they may not actually use, but they have approval for 42,000. But they're starting at like 12,000 by the time they're done with phase one. I do like... Kind of crazy. I do like the idea of you need to get approval Mm -hmm. to put something in orbit. (laughs) For multiple agencies. Not just one. Yeah. It's... Yeah. This is envisioned as a global net. It's going to blanket the planet. It's going to blanket the planet, and it is viewed. I, I, this is another one of those cases where we're talking about a Bond villain scheme. I mean, yes. it really does. This is Moonraker. <laughs> Moonraker yes. was an awful movie, which involved, I believe the villain's plan was to, I don't remember a lot of the movie, but I think it might have involved melting the space caps and it may have involved a space laser. It all blurs together. (laughs) It all blurs together, just like Tuesday into Thursday. The goal here is to create worldwide connectivity, which would be then controlled by an individual company. Yes. Yes. It's, It's no different than like Comcast or Verizon or some other internet service provider laying down fiber optic cables through neighborhoods to provide internet. There's really not much difference from that. That's basically all. It's just in space, essentially. What is the process of the SpaceX launches? You wouldn't need manned launches to get the satellites into space. No. And you wouldn't necessarily, you might need manned launches for repair work and stuff like that. Is this headed toward a parallel space program next to NASA, where NASA is doing NASA things, and then SpaceX has their own astronauts that are going up and doing repair work? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, that ba- that basically is the case right now. It's like SpaceX is their own space force. They're doing their own thing. They, of course, need approvals from the government to be able to do launches, uh, but for essentially, they are their own thing. And they have their own, uh, man. It's called the Dragon Crew capsule. They they have a way to send yeah. people into orbit. They've already docked that in a test with the International Space Station. They're about to launch the first Americans into space from American soil for the first time since the space shuttle. It's I can't remember what the date is, but it's coming up. Uh, yeah. It's going to be kind of groundbreaking when it happens because it's like, yay, we're back to American space flight. But this time, it's a private company that's doing it for us. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Brought to you by The Simpsons on Fox. Yeah, exactly. Taco Bell. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the Taco Bell launch is go. (laughs) Exactly. Run for the border. What I love about it, though, Sean, is if you've ever seen the SpaceX uh, astronaut uniforms and the way that the Dragon Crew Crapsule looks like on the inside and the way that these starship, the giant spaceship they're building looks on the inside. It looks like it's lifted right from a science fiction movie. And it's like, you know, they would never do that at NASA. NASA's very utilitarian. It's going to have all these mm-hmm. bolts and like 
things exposed and the inside of all the spacex stuff looks very smooth and sci-fi and very kind mm-hmm. of futuristic it's like <laughs> they're putting the panache back in space <laughs> right the panache that was never there in the first place i can't part of me this the manifestation of this makes sense to me is what i'm trying to say right so it's like i can think logically about like oh yeah the history of space exploration the space program the eventual running out of governmental interest and focus in that regard and the then private corporations taking the next step and even a movie as old as 2001 it was a pan am flight that the character in 2001 takes from the earth to the moon to the space station before he goes to the moon he's on a pan am flight a space flight from pan am so you know even in 1969 there was a vision of like well there clearly will be a commercial future to this yep and i can't help but keep going back to the is it a good idea that people with boards of directors be 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 guiding this sort of thing um but i guess it's inevitable i i think it is i think it's a good thing with tight regulations and controls. It's like the one thing we don't want to do is to end up having the wild west of corporations basically owning Mars or something like that. It's like you yeah. obviously want to maintain governmental control and regulation around everything. But I think it's smart because companies are going to find ways to do it cheaper and more efficiently than government agencies can do it. Um, and SpaceX is a proof of that. They're They're doing launches to space for a fraction of the cost that NASA has ever been able to do it uh, because they've been innovating on how spaceflight works with the rockets that land themselves and are reusable. So it's like they're doing things that the space agencies just haven't been motivated to explore and do. Right. So there, there's going to be innovation and improvements made and it will drive costs down and make it more affordable to get into space. So it's 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 a good thing in the long run, I think. But if you let it get out of control where suddenly we have not just 42,000 SpaceX satellites, but we have, you know, 180,000 satellites from four different companies orbiting the earth. It's like, yeah. that's where it starts to get a little like, whoa, this yeah. isn't good. <laughs> and at what point do the satellites start shooting each other out of the sky? <laughs> yeah. You're, like, you're in my you way. Say? <laughs> I think one of the things I find most amusing is the reusable uh, spaceships that are being developed, how much they look like old sci-fi yes you know literally like from the twilight zone like here's what looks like a rocket ship and it lands vertically with little feet that come out of the bottom and you know in the mid 80s early 90s 2000s we were like god that looks so stupid and now people are like you know it'd be great yeah a rocket ship with little feet that come out of the bottom yeah the 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 starship that they're building that will be able to go to mars it looks like it's from forbidden planet it's like wait Wait, we, we actually have gone back to like 1950s sci-fi and that's what yeah. it's actually looking like. <laughs> yeah. Who, who I'd like knew? to see the, the lead scientist who's like, gentlemen, what we need is a theremin. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing if the next, like when they first launched the starship the first time, they should be playing theremin music they should, because it's sticking they should, off. They should have an orchestra of theremins out there. <laughs> <laughs> One of the, the questions I have around all of this is and i don't know that you will have a response to this but one of the things that came out of the space program from the late 50s through the 60s and into the 70s was a number of the development of technology that pushed technology at large Mm -hmm. Uh, communication satellite technology all of that do you know of anything in particular with the current development of the new iteration of spaceflight other than the satellites themselves to create this network of of communications linkages do you know of anything that is coming out of or has come out of this that has been like oh this is something that is now used or could be used in cars or computers or whatever not off the top of my head but the the Starlink stuff is something that eventually could turn into that in a way. I think this is what you're getting at. It's like there's a couple of the cheaper we can make space flight, the more economical it becomes to start doing space mining. 
like we're running out of resources on the planet. Well, yeah. imagine that we are going to asteroids and mining from asteroids. We're mining from the moon. There's a lot, a lot of resources on the moon that we could actually use. So imagine it's really actually fairly cheap and easy to get up there, do the mining and have a moon base that's shooting the resources back to earth. Um, it's that kind of thing that I think is going to be kind of an offshoot of what we're seeing right now. And then of course, Elon's whole thing about getting to Mars, it's like, let's not have all of our eggs in one basket. Let's have humans on multiple planets and it will protect us. Mm -hmm. But there's also the resource angle for Mars as well. It's like once you finally get an established thing on Mars, it's the same deal. It's like there might be resources and things that we can take advantage of there that we don't have here. Um, so that is one thing. The other thing is that the cheaper space flight gets and the, the more commonplace it gets. Uh, imagine you need to go to the from you know New York to Beijing <laughs> and you want to do it in 30 minutes. <laughs> right. You literally could have getting a rocket and fly to Beijing kind of a thing. It's like that's the kind of thing I think will eventually end up happening. Of course, it's going to be still very expensive, but if you need to travel around the world quickly, this will be another path to do it. Not the kind of thing you necessarily want to hear during the middle of a pandemic, but I get what you're saying. No. <laughs> Let's spread disease even faster. That's right. <laughs> somebody in somebody on the other side of the world wants to get to where you are as quickly as possible. Don't worry about that cough. <laughs> He's wearing a mask. Yeah, he's, <laughs> it's just allergies. He swears. It's a strange time to be having conversations about stuff like this while, yeah. you know, it's like, don't forget, don't go outside. Um, one of the things that um, stood out about the, the development of the Starlink is the question around timing of when when could this potentially have an impact and there's four, 42,000 being the goal permission for what did you say was it 14,000 well they have permission for 42 or they're on their way of getting permission for the full 42 but the first 12,000 that's going to make it work fully is already approved and it's just them getting it into space right and how many at one time can they get up there on the Falcon 9 rocket, they can launch 60 at a time. But when they have Starship, their big ship, um, I think they're going to be able to launch 300 at a time off of Starship, if I remember correctly. <laughs> None of this sounds real. <laughs> no, it sounds, it sounds made like, up I in feel like, like science fiction. I feel like we're talking about an episode of Next Generation. <laughs> where it's yeah, just exactly. like, like, well, Riker's going to get in that shuttle and he's going to go out into that cloud in the nebula and he's going to release these mines and he's going to be able to do the Riker maneuver he's going to do the Riker maneuver he's going to be doing a two-hour long thing he's going to get three thousand of these things out there and i'm just like you know like as you're talking about they can release this many into space at one time in my head i see literally the 1950s twilight zone rocket that looks like a classic rocket ship from a bugs bunny cartoon with little legs on the bottom and a little hatch opens up and these little tiny satellites with little antennas going beep beep come <laughs> out one at a time and they're just like there's a little astronaut on a little cord and he's so cute and i'm just like this isn't real how's this well, how's this a conversation we're just like it, yes yes 300 in in one flight from the uh, giant spaceship which we will just call the mothership from now on like what what are we talking about if i did include a very brief clip of what it looks like when they were coming out of uh, a falcon 9 rocket in space um it's fascinating to watch because it's like the way they're all packed so tightly in. It's like a, like a little ant colony where they're all huddled to, or like a bee colony where they're all huddled together. And mm -hmm. they kind of, as a group, like holding hands, kind of float off into space. Uh -huh. And they just gently go, wee, let each other go <laughs> and just start to drift apart in space. It's, it's right. really kind of fascinating to watch. Right. And kind of sad and yeah. cute at the same time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Bye, friend. Like, Bye, friend. <laughs> I'll never see you again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, which in a certain way means they know social isolation as well. Yes, they do. Wow. In the cold darkness of space. In the cold darkness of space. 
Meanwhile, I can't get the clocks in my kitchen to all show the same time at the same moment. So, <laughs> right. I'm not releasing 300 of anything into space anytime soon. No. Uh, I just, <laughs> the humor of it just keeps like rolling over me. The idea that this is an actual conversation. What I was going to say was, you know, like my reason for, for bringing that up was the, the, the timing of when is this headed toward a Starlink slash um, Tesla option for ISP or satellite television? Like what is, what will this look like in somebody's home other than yeah, them maybe licensing broadband to Comcast or other, other companies that are like, we want to use your network. Like, are they going to be coming into our homes and saying like, we are offering you these, services the way it's going to start is going to be directly from spacex so you will become a starlink subscriber and you know how like you have like direct tv mm-hmm. and they they usually will have an installer come to your home and install a satellite dish and they have to point it to a specific area of the sky and configure it and get it all set up for you the way Starlink's going to work is they will probably end up just sending you a package in the mail which includes the antenna the receiver Right. Which the way it's been described, I haven't seen it, but the way it's been described is about the size of a medium pizza box, but it's shaped like a little UFO. And of course, all it you have, it's like like on a stick. It's like yeah. literally on a stick. And so all yeah. you have to do is put it anywhere you want that has line of sight to the sky. So it can't be obstructed. So as long right. as it, there's nothing to point at, you just put it out in the open and you're done. So any any homeowner or owner of the service can do this on their own. There won't, you don't need special installers or anything. You just line of sight of the sky and you've got a signal. So, so you it's put it on like your roof if you, or your backyard, or if you have an RV, you could put it on the roof of your RV. It's like, it's, it really doesn't matter. It's like, it's super simple to set up. So it's like, you're basically just basically buying the antenna, subscribing to the service. And now you've got broadband internet wherever you are. Mm-hmm. It's that easy. It's that easy. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think the the interest will be right off the bat? I mean, is this the sort of thing where they're going to have to, they're going to be going up against known quantities mm-hmm. and they're going to be going up against known quantities that are already locked in place in some cases with service agreements that are long-term service agreements. Is this the sort of thing where they're possibly going to come out of the gate and say, we'll give this to you for next to nothing? Mm-hmm. for a year like to, i remember like direct tv seems like it's still limping along with that sort of service option we're like we'll give you as much as we can for free because we just want people to sign up um i have a, i have a feeling the pricing is going to be highly competitive i don't know if it's going to be like undercutting by a huge margin but i think it's gonna be highly competitive especially with the speeds and things that they can guarantee I think that's where it's going to win people over because there's people that have satellite internet that hate it because it's so slow and not responsive. And if you have a company that says, Hey, we've got this thing that's as good as having fiber optic to your home (laughs) for $10 less a month, it's like, they're going to not going to have any problem getting people to sign up. And is this also potentially a competitor among cell phone networks? I don't think it is. I mean, I included a clip of Elon talking about something like that in the video, but he, at the satellite conference from this March of this year, he basically said, this is not competition for existing land-based systems because like Verizon Fios is not going to have anything to fear from Starlink. Um, it just, it, this is meant to fill the gaps that those services have trouble filling. Right. Because it really, if you live like in a large urban location you typically have lots of options and some of those options are actually pretty good even as much as we complain about companies like comcast you have really affordable decent internet but it's like as soon as you start to get outside of the city into suburbs and then into really rural areas it's like it's a completely different ball game i mean just think about mom and dad it's like our parents live in an area where they have one choice 
for internet yeah. provider yeah. and it's awful yeah. and their connect the speed and the connection they have is abysmal so imagine when starlink's available they could maybe sign up for that for the same amount of money and then suddenly have internet that is way better than what they've ever had i will let you be the one to talk mom and dad through how to set up starlink <laughs> <laughs> i just had a tech support call today to help them mom find her way through google photos and whoa boy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's not on the Picasso, mom it is the Picasso. <laughs> There's it's, your show title. Yeah. <laughs> it is the Picasso. <laughs> it is the Picasso. So I, you mentioned uh, rural areas and versus urban. Also, the potential here for this to have an impact worldwide mm-hmm. is, is fairly impressive. Um, there's constant, I think one of the things that's been made evident during the the pandemic um, is the disparity between the haves and haves nots with regard to internet connectivity. Mm -hmm. And there's a very good argument to be made for internet uh, being viewed as a public utility in the way that water and electricity um, are viewed Mm -hmm. when all of this social isolation uh, period began, it immediately became obvious the households with students in schools who don't have internet. And it was something between 30 and 40% here in the city. Yeah. Um, they were scrambling to give those households. Many of them didn't have computers. So the students computer usage was only at school. They didn't have any computers at home. They didn't have any internet. They didn't have any of the tech around any of that. So the school system was literally scrambling scrambling to get people everything, literally giving students computers, routers, and figuring out how the city could provide basic uh, cable connectivity for their internet needs so that the students could log on for school. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty drastic thing to learn uh, what the percentages were between the haves and have nots. Yeah. Um, it gets worse globally. And, yes, it does. Much and it worse. gets, it gets worse globally and it gets strange globally because globally there are areas that are not gaining internet connectivity in a cable based system because the countries simply aren't putting in cable. They're mm-hmm. putting in cell towers because cell phones are easier. So you can't rely on like governments and schools and business in parts of Africa and India cannot rely on cell phones as their only means of communication and connection in order to be competitive and in order to provide the services that they need to, to those citizens in those places, something like this could be a real game changer. But the question is how will, and I don't expect you to have an answer here, but how will a company like this view that kind of service model to places that aren't going to be able to pay us level rates? And does it, does this in fact exacerbate a problem as opposed to solving one? I don't think it exacerbates it. I think it gives you a, it gives an option because obviously SpaceX is not going to be a charity. It's not going to just give this stuff away, but I could totally see um, organizations and governments being able to negotiate maybe discounted rates or being able to like, you know, Bill Gates foundation, you know, paying for certain paying for certain areas to receive, you know, for schools in these areas to get broadband internet access through SpaceX, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Because it opens up options that just don't exist today. Yeah. So even if SpaceX is not giving it away themselves, the fact that this service exists at all opens up new potential. Right. And it's not just them because it's like uh, Jeff Bezos is doing the same thing with Project Kuiper 
it's like there's other companies that are looking to do the same exact thing as Starlink. So it's like there will be other options and competition to keep prices low and to offer things in different areas for different people at different rates. So it's like, right. It's going, well, the hope is always that there is competition. And of course, in theory, competition does keep costs down, but then in, in reality and in practice, like you mentioned, mom and dad live in an area. They don't live in a remote location. They just live in a location where they only have one cable provider. And what's crazy is so do I, I live in a neighborhood in Brooklyn that only has one service provider. And if I move a few blocks in one direction, my cable provider will change to a different one. The cable companies basically cut New York City up into sections. And it was a form of collusion. And it is known that they colluded with each other. Right. And they created a map where they would not compete with each other. And I live in the middle of New York City. So it's like, it doesn't even have to be, there doesn't have to be a uh, nefarious goal other than profit motive to make at some mm-hmm. point a Jeff Bezos and an Elon Musk say, let's figure out what we're going to do so that we each get half the globe. It's yeah, you know, the potential. That never is happens. There, the, their potential. <laughs> I, the, I hope that never happens, but the potential yeah. is there to, you know, for people behind closed doors to say like, look, we both want the same thing to be rich. Let's make it happen. The reality of this specific situation, though, is I don't see that happening because this is a global internet service. The thing that's going to limit what they can do is how many, how much bandwidth each satellite is able to do. So, like, in the video, I talked about how, like, each satellite has enough bandwidth for, like, 40,000 people to stream HD video. Right. So, if you're talking about a city, like, you live in Manhattan or brooklyn or wherever you are in new york you're talking about how many million people live there (laughs) it's like 12 million people or something crazy it's like you obviously can't have a single satellite that covers all of new york you can only have a satellite that's able to take you know forty thousand, hundred thousand people on right so that is going to be the limitation of starlink is and that's precisely why elon has said this is not meant for urban areas it's not we're not going to be able to supply la was his example. Right. Um, so it's like, that's part of the reason why you do need Project Kuiper and you need OneWeb and you need Telesat. You need these other yeah. companies to be doing it too because then you have multiple services that suddenly it goes from being able to do 100,000 people to be able to do 800,000 people in an area. So suddenly you can right. start to provide internet service through s- space to larger cities. So I don't see there being a need for con- collusion <laughs> because... Right no one company can supply the demand. It's a mixture of mind boggling, like policy development regulation on the one hand. And at the other end is just the absurdity. Like we were laughing earlier at the absurdity of the imagery that we're talking about, like a spaceship mm-hmm. going up into space and ejecting little tiny satellites, 300 at a time. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's this really kind of, it's kind of an amazing endeavor and an absurd endeavor at the same moment. Like, yeah, 42,000, 42,000, 42, <laughs> satellites. And back in the 1950s, they were like, we want to get one satellite to orbit the earth once <laughs> before it crashes. <laughs> yeah. There, there are. There was a thread of comments I saw on the video that I did want to bring up that I thought was not surprising and yet kind of depressing. The number mm-hmm. of people that said, "You can't tell me these aren't military satellites, or they're doing this for the military, or they're just going to be spying on us," that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't surprised that people thought that, but at the same time, it's it's just one of those kind of common sense. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you look at what the satellites look like, there's not gigantic cameras on these things. They are literally like they have lasers mm-hmm. and basically radios. <laughs> That's right. It's it's like a it's like a flat little piece of metal with a gigantic solar panel coming off of it. It's like right. they're super kind of cute how simple they are. Right. Uh this is not some massive military based satellite system that they're putting into space. It's also, you know, it's interesting to say like, you know, 
a person goes and leaves a comment like that on a YouTube mm. video. YouTube mm. is owned by Google. Google has Google Earth, which is literally taking photographs of your backyard. Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, you're worried mm-hmm. about you're worried about somebody like spying on you, but you're currently using their platform. It, yeah. That the, the people that you're worried about are already doing it, and you are providing them with revenue. So, my favorite my favorite comment from uh, the video was this one. I'll end I'll end our conversation about this video with this comment, which was from Final Touch One. Been scrolling down the comments pretty deep, still waiting on a flat earther's hemorrhoid to burst so we can hear how this is all not possible. (laughs) I think that wins for the best comments. I think that definitely wins for best comment. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it's. This is pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. And somehow very commonplace and. I think it's interesting that when you know I watch a video like this and we talk about a subject like this, how much of it feels like familiar territory because of all the pop culture stuff that we've talked about, like all mm-hmm. the Star Trek and the Twilight Zones and all that. It's like this has been in the cultural imagination for such a long period of time. And I think that is one of the reasons why all of this amazing news is not really talked about. Because it's all like, oh yeah, space. We know about that. Like, all of the amazing has become mundane, which yeah. is yeah. kind of kind of which is weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, real quick before we end this episode of the podcast, I wanted to continue with. We've had an on again, off again reference to uh, things that we are consuming during the current pandemic. Things that we would recommend to people, um, and. I have a couple of quick suggestions. I won't go too deep into any of them, but they cover quite a wide range um, in vision. And and uh, I think you'll understand what I'm referring to when I get into the details. First, if anybody, I don't know, Matt, have you seen the movie The Favorite? No, I haven't. Yeah, the the movie The Favorite is one thing I would recommend, and it is a anachronistic historical story about a British ruler who had two young women both vying for her attention, but for different reasons. And it is told with a lot of humor, and it is the setting is historically astoundingly um like it it you feel like you are looking at how people lived back in this era mm-hmm. but it's anachronistic in things like when they have a ball people are effectively breakdancing they're like doing this goofy kind of breakdancing maneuvers so it has an element of absurdity and fun to it that is uh lends itself really well to the storytelling and it was an extremely well-received film. And now on the heels of that, the people who developed that movie have now got a TV show, which is on Hulu and it is called the great. And it is about Catherine, the great, the Hmm. empress of Russia and her arrival as a young woman to be married to the emperor of Russia, who was Peter, not Peter the Great. This is Peter the Great's son. And he is a moron and has been raised to see himself in the model of you know, the, the French aristocracy. He's been raised with the model of, I am God on earth. I am God incarnate. I am here by divine will. Mm-hmm. And it is full of debauchery and the court is a total nightmare it's a mess and she comes into this and she is well educated she can read and she has met people like descartes and so she arrives in the court with this vision of we could be good rulers and it is the story of her slow development of a plan to lead a coup to get rid of Hmm. peter 
and take the throne herself because she is told by somebody in the court, if you do not provide him with an heir and he dies, it goes to you. We do not follow the ascension through family. We follow it through role and you as his wife would become emperor. Right. And that begins this process of her figuring out who her allies are and putting it all together. And again, like the favorite, it is done with a lot of humor and it is very smart. And it has a really great feminist take on history because it is largely, it's told from the perspective of Catherine and a number of the directors of the episodes are women. And they tell a very clear story of how society has put women into a position of their property, their chattel. And the only right. reason she is there is to provide him with an heir. And he is very clear about that. You're here to carry my child and I don't care about anything else other than that. And it's about her as a person trying to break free of that. And I think it's really a very smart, very funny, very entertaining uh, program. And it's worth checking out. The other thing I would suggest, and this is where things swing widely, wildly to the other direction, is I discovered on a streaming app, and you know how there are now a, a, a dozen or so um, free streaming apps that provide you with, in some cases, commercial-based programming. Yeah. Yep. Uh, one of them that I really enjoy is Pluto TV. They've got a huge number of channels. I, I enjoy watching watching that a lot. But there's another one that's called Stir. And Stir is sort of a weird mix of you tell it where you're located, and then you can watch some local programming from like local news and stuff like that. But you can also hmm. watch certain on-demand programming, which they have. Um, some of it is commercial-based. Some of it is not commercial-based. But it's all free. But one of the things they have on there is, I don't know if you ever watched it when you were a kid, but I remember watching it when I would go to my best friend's house when I was a kid. It's the show Space 1999. Yeah, I've seen that. I didn't watch it a lot, but I've seen it, yeah. And I have gone into a weird retro sci-fi kick with that show that is I didn't remember enough of the show to be able to say this before I saw it recently but mm -hmm. it is a really weird and neat merging somewhere between Star Trek and uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey it has hmm. a foot in both camps it is also really kind of goofy because it was a co-British and Italian production. Oh boy. And so Martin Landau and he's the lead and he plays the commander of the space station. And most everybody else in the show is British. And I was watching the show and I'm like, why is everybody else British? And so I looked it up and it turns out that it's also partly Italian. So it must have been dubbed into Italian when it went to uh -huh. Italy. But there uh -huh. are occasionally actors who will show up who are clearly Italian. And it'll be like, they'll be like, hey, come over here and help me with this engine. Ah, but like, like, well, like, why is, what sort of weird future is this where it's, there's one American, everybody's British except for that one Italian guy. And then, uh, and the setup of the show is absolutely absurd, which is there's so much nuclear waste being deposited on the moon that it affects the magnetic, uh, it, it affects the, the magnetic, uh, poles on the moon that creates an energy disruption that actually pushes the earth, the moon away from the earth and the moon goes hurtling into space. And so now the leader of this space station has to keep everybody alive while the moon is now drifting in space and will ne they'll never be able to go back to earth. Huh. It's an absurd setup, but it's a neat looking show because it has a look that looks like 2001. So it's like what you were describing before where there's NASA, which is all bolts and utilitarian and then there's sci-fi which is all pretty and smooth and nice lines and this is somewhere in the middle in the same way that okay. 2001 was where it's okay. like when they put on spacesuits they look like 2001 spacesuits and they get into 2001 looking little ships that fly around they look like real spaceships but at the same time everything has that sort of 
Star Trek, the motion picture hallways and their yeah. uniforms and, uh-huh. and they are having Star Trek like adventures where it's like this alien thing comes in and possesses one of them and is draining energy from all of their power sources. And if they don't stop it, it will kill them. So they're having that kind of adventure while being in this sort of weird, you know, merging between those two, two things. So it is completely escapist. It is completely a, it's a show you can put on in the background and half pay attention to. And, Mm -hmm. and it's nicely distracting. So it's like you're making bread and you're watching space 1999 at the same time. So, and it's Martin Landau and he's a good actor and he was trying his best. He apparently, the show lasted two seasons. He bad mouthed it all the time because he thought the writing was so stupid. Uh (laughs) And, and this is Martin Landau's career being as interesting as it was. He was offered the role of Spock and turned it down and instead did Mission Impossible, which is where he met his wife, Barbara Bain. I hope I'm getting her name right. They then both went and did this show while while Leonard Nimoy at the end of Star Trek, when Star Trek ended, Nimoy replaced Martin Landau on mission impossible. So full circle, full circle. (laughs) But the winner of all that is Nimoy because at that point Nimoy was on the hit sci-fi show that then he then went to mission impossible. Landau went from mission impossible to this, which he didn't like. He bad mouthed all the time. And after this show ended, Landau went through a long dry spell until he started doing movies as he was older. And he ended up doing stuff with, like he was in Ed Wood and stuff like that. Yep. He was in Tucker. Yep. Um, so his career did, did re, resurface and he ended up having, you know, got Academy Awards later in life. But it's interesting to see this show as the British were clearly trying to latch onto, the production is clearly trying to latch onto a 2001 style of sci-fi. It predates Star Wars. It follows star trek it predates star trek the motion picture but you can see how it sits in the timeline there it fits if when you watch it it looks just like it should for being in the timeline where it was as opposed to something like doctor who which looks like oh they're just a bunch of people running around with you know army costumes on pretending that they're you know in the 18th century ultra low budget yeah, ultra low budget where it's it's you know they were they were just making stuff up on the fly half the time. This looks very much like they really put time and money into it. They made things and this and the special effects are interesting too because it's a mix of uh it's lots of models. So it's lots of model work which are similar to what you would have seen in Star Wars. So it's like here comes a thing crashing onto the moon and it's going to hit the moon base and it's clearly a model, but you can see the time and effort and money that went into it. It's and it's impressive stuff for the time for TV in I think it was 1971. So it's it's kind of a neat um it's a neat thing to see. So and now today you, you can make space bread while you watch it. That's right. <laughs> In fact, I was thinking about making some space bread, but I'm really space tired <laughs> from the space pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'm space exhausted. Mm. And there is our title. <laughs> space exhausted. So Matt, did you have anything you want to throw out there or are you just kind of along for the ride right now? It's not something I'd recommend. So this is an odd one. But I've been watching this show. It's on a network called Freeform. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on Hulu, I think it's on right now. And it's called Motherland. And it's a show about what if witches were real? Mm. And they, instead of having, you know, the Salem witch trials, which, you know, tried to kill them all, there was like a negotiation between witches and non-witches of like, hey, we'll form a military and work for you. So it's this kind of like jingoistic, like we're fighting for America, witches, <laughs> <laughs> alternate history of 
what happened. And there's like been little glimpses in the show as to like the timeline of American history. And like there's events that didn't happen because mm. clearly witches prevented things from happening because they right. were so powerful and stopped horrible events. Uh, but it's a very interesting show. Awesome premise. Pretty cool world building. But the reason I say I'm not sure I recommend it is some of the acting is not even at soap opera quality. Right. And some of the writing, it feels like somebody took a book and said, we have to include all of the key points from this book. And then just like fast forward between the points that connect it all together. Right. So there's points in the show where it's like, wait, wait, why are you so madly in love with this person? We just met the last scene. It's like, right. where <laughs> did this love relationship come from? It's like, right. we didn't see any of that unfold. It just... They take these shortcuts constantly for the show, which is driving me nuts. But then they have these moments of brilliance with really amazing filmmaking, like great cinematography at times. And then other times it's awful. And then the storytelling at times is amazing. And then other times it's awful. But I'm having kind of like, like you just said with Space 1999, Space 1999 I'm having fun watching it like as a background show. Right. So it's it's not necessarily I would recommend sitting down and watching it with your full attention. But if you're looking for something in the background, like my dog who's not stopped barking right now. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can hear that. Yes, I can. <laughs> um, I would recommend uh having Motherland on in the background while you're doing other activities and just kind of like half watching it. I think it's right. it's it's fun. It's a fun show. Freeform is one of those those networks and there's there's a good number of them right now that I think I think it's good that they exist because I think it's great that there's a place where strange storytelling like this can can be done and I think that's a wonderful thing for like as you described it it does sound very much like a book and there are I know of books that are the alternate history books and they include things like the alternate history of vampires exist or the alternate history of there were witches or you know, you name it, somebody out there is writing stuff like that. And for a TV version of that, Freeform is one of those networks that does a lot of those things without being called sci-fi. You know, they they right, right. they aren't calling themselves that. And I think that there's a great thing for that. But it's also hand in hand with that comes what you've described. And I know a lot of those programs, like I, aren't they also one of the ones that had the show, was it Siren, which was about mermaids? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. And, and it's the same sort of thing where it's like, it's just like, okay, it's great that they're thinking outside the box. They're doing some really creative storytelling, you know, with, you know, sure. You're going to have some of the same sort of like romantic, like, oh, you know, our star-crossed lovers because she's a witch and I'm not, or she's a mermaid and I'm not whatever. But, <laughs> uh, one, one of the things that always stands out f from those shows and, movies is the acting is something that you sometimes have to really kind of like, okay, I'm going to hold my nose. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just gonna, well, I'm going to go along with the premise and the world building. And I think the environment is cool. And I think the production is cool. And, you know, you hats off to those actors and, you know, their, their attempts to, to, to do things. It's, I feel I the same way about the show, the magicians, which yes, is based on yes. a series of books. And I yeah. think that for me, I know people who've read the books and they were disappointed at the fact that the show went so far away from the books. I've never read the books, but I feel like the later seasons got clearly better than the first season, which was very close to the books. And as much as I enjoy the show, there are moments where the acting is just, oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love you guys, but God, no. But, but sometimes I don't know if I can blame, if you can blame the actors like on Motherland. I think it's more the directing because it's like literally one scene, something is happening here. Second scene, that same character we just saw is randomly walking across a hill and bumps into somebody who has a conversation which had nothing to do with anything we've seen before. And the scene right after that is them back talking to another friend about how they're in love with this or something happened. It's like yeah. it feels so fast forwarded. And a lot of times the, it feels like the director was like, okay, so we're taking a shortcut here. So I need you to act, act 
extra hard. Just yeah. don't get upset. I need you to scream at the top of your lungs how much yeah. you love this person. And yeah. so it's like, I don't necessarily think it was a actress choice to like dial that up to 11. Sometimes I think it was probably the director going like, we really need to feel the emotion because we're taking yeah. a shortcut here. <laughs> and as, and as an audience member, I find myself often thinking like that was the best take. Yes. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Really? And those sometimes those moments are not the best take. And it's it boils down, like you're saying, the director and the editor may be putting together the fast forward version of something. And yeah. there may be scenes that were left out. There may be, you know, the writer may be chewing his fingernails off in the back of the room, thinking like, oh my God, they're destroying the story because I had a scene <laughs> that was going to explain <laughs> why these two people are in love with each other. What's the show don't tell? methodology yeah. of filmmaking yeah. and it's like there was an actual scene where this one girl is in love with this other girl and she is screaming at the top of her lungs i just love her so much and it yeah. was like okay you don't have to tell me that you love her so much you could have had a scene <laughs> where you showed me that you loved yeah. her <laughs> <laughs> heaven forbid yeah so those are just a couple of the ways that we are apparently holding on to reality we're holding on to reality by watching a show about the moon falling away from its orbit and <laughs> witches yes. in an alternate history of the United States. <laughs> so let us know what you're doing to stay sane. Let us know what you think about the episode. Let us know what you think about the YouTube episode or about this podcast. You can reach out to us through Twitter at still TBD FM. You can reach out to me at by Sean Farrell. You can reach out to Matt at Matt Farrell and at Undecided MF. Be sure to watch for the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. You can subscribe to his channel as well. You can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm, and you can also subscribe to the podcast. You can do that through Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or other places where podcasts are found. Please be sure to give us a rating, review us, and share us with your friends, because it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew tries to help me. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. 